Brooklyn's Radio Health Talk, looking at health and social care with Fatima Kamara. Hello, thank you for tuning in. My name is Fatima Kamara. Welcome to the Health Talk Show host. I generally talk about anything and everything health and social care related, including raising awareness of health conditions and its management. If you want to email us, our email address is healthtalk at brooklandsradio.co.uk. Now for a little bit of health news. Health news today is looking at asthmatic. As Asthma UK um, states that around 4 million people are living with asthmatic conditions. Three quarters of those with asthma in the UK say that breathing in cold winter air exacerbates their symptoms, which increases their risk of an attack. One asthma attack occurs every 10 seconds in the UK, where 5.4 million people are receiving treatment for the condition, including 1.1 million children. Three people die every day following an asthma attack. Asthma UK is encouraging people who live with a respiratory condition to wear scarves over their face and nose as it can warm the air before they breathe it in. Asthmatic people have been encouraged to wear scarves over their mouths and nose this winter as experts say breathing in cold air can increase the risk of any attack at all. So Asthma UK wants people to take scarfies, it's called scarfies this winter, just like selfies, um, encouraging asthma sufferers to take photos in scarves, then post a selfie to social media to spread awareness of their campaign. And the campaign is in its t- third year, and Asthma UK is encouraging people to use the SCAFI hashtag to once again spread the message, a SCAF could save a life. To get in touch with your health and social care questions, email healthtalk at brooklandsradio.co.uk. Hello, thank you for tuning in to Brooklyn's Radio. My name is Fatima Kamari, your health talk show host. Um, Today we're going to be talking about staying sober. Staying sober, basically because we're talking about alcohol and also alcohol consumption and dependency. Um, Just to put the topic into context, alcohol is the UK's biggest risk factor for death, ill health and disability for people aged between 15 and 49. For some people, alcohol can be part of many occasions, but like many drugs, it's addictive, both physically and psychologically. The NHS estimate that's around 9% of men in the UK and 3% of UK women show signs of alcohol dependency. What that basically means is that drinking alcohol becomes an important or sometimes the most important factor in their life and they feel they're unable to function without it. So what is alcohol dependency? Alcohol dependency basically means, or sometimes known as alcoholism, and is the most serious form of drinking drinking problem and describes a strong, often uncontrollable desire to drink. There's no doubt about it. Christmas and booze go hand in hand. Sometimes a glass or two of bubbly can be a welcome relief after a frantic month or frantic day. But binge drinking, especially at this time of the year, increases the risk of alcohol dependency, says expert. So today on the show, I've got with me Rob. Rob is... um, I'm not going to be able to tell you his surname. He's going to be anonymous. And um, Rob is joining me on the show to talk about alcohol dependency and also his journey in terms of um, being a recovering alcoholic. Rob, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Can you yeah. tell me a bit about yourself, Rob? Yeah, please? thanks for asking me to come in. It's a pleasure. I 
drank socially and had no idea that I had problems with alcohol until my mid-30s. And then, for a variety of reasons I still don't understand, my drinking increased and I found that I was becoming increasingly dependent on it. Until that point, I never felt that I was drinking excessively. But once I started drinking in a dependent fashion, it became a much more difficult, more challenging thing for me. The first thing that happened is that I started to be a bit secretive about my drinking. I knew that I was drinking more than other people, family, colleagues, etc. And aware that that didn't look good, I would deliberately hide the amount that I actually was drinking. If I went out on a social occasion, I'd make sure I'd have a drink or two first so that I could appear not to be drinking that much when I was actually in company. I was increasingly drinking by myself. I was At the end of my drinking, I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking throughout the day. And I was unable to get through a day without drink. And I was also unable to just have one drink. I knew that if I had one drink, I wouldn't be able to stop. And at that point, I realised that I had to do something. And I was very fortunate that there's an organisation called Alcoholics Anonymous out there. I went along to my first meeting and heard other people talking about how AA had worked for them. They had been like me. I identified with the stories they were telling, the way that they'd hidden their drinking, the way that they drank excessively, they got into difficult situations. I identified with all of that and realized that I was in the same boat. And that was actually a great thing because it made me realize that if they had stopped drinking, perhaps I could too. Okay, um, Rob, um, you own your own market research company. You're very independent, you work. So um, I think sometimes people have a notion of thinking someone who has um, potential challenges with alcohol, alcoholism, might be unemployed. Or some, you know, sometimes people do have that sort of preconceived idea about um, wh- what and who an alcoholic looks like. Um, for you, what was, how did your alcohol dependency start and what were the trigger factors or trigger, something that triggered you into starting? Do you think, can you, can you explain or explore a little bit for me, please? Sure. I, I, first of all, I'd say that I totally shared those preconceptions about who alcoholics were. And that stopped me from seeking help for a long time because I didn't think of myself as being like those people. I wasn't, I've never owned a dirty Mac and I wasn't rough sleeping. I'm fortunate in those things. Alcohol does take some people to those places, but it never got that bad for me, thank God. But the the, the environment I worked in, before, before I owned my own business, I worked in advertising, and uh, that was a very drink-oriented culture. It still is to some extent, but I think it's cleaned its act up. But uh, when I was working there, it was normal for people to drink a bottle of wine with lunch. And that meant that for somebody like me, it was easy to drink a lot and for it not to be commented on that much. Most people who drink heavily seem to be fortunate they get away with it some of us when we start drinking at that level it becomes a real problem and we develop a dependency 
But of course, the problem is if you're working in a culture where people are successful, well-paid, and are able to uh, have long lunches on expense accounts, it's quite hard to spot the one with the drinking problem because everybody's out there partying. In some ways, I envy people in cultures where drinking is much more frowned on because at least that way it becomes obvious more quickly if you have got a problem. Very good, very good. I I think that's really quite um, very true and understanding because um, it can be very easy for people to think, well, if everybody else is drinking, it makes, makes it easier for me to just join in, you know, without people identifying you're drinking, you know, whether you're drinking excessively or whether it's, you know, a glass or two of, of alcohol, whatever that is. Now, um, what about um, your your sort of um, journey in terms of drinking excessively, as you've explained it earlier? Did this have any sort of effect on your family members or do you have any family members that are, you know, what, did it have any effect on your family members or do you have any family members that are actually maybe going through similar um, situation at the moment? It had a lot of effect on my family. It was very hard for my wife. And in fact, she found out about a organization called Al-Anon, which is an organization for the friends and family of problem drinkers and became a member of that before I ever went into AA myself. And I think... Her membership of that, to some extent, contributed to me actually seeking help. But it was really difficult for her. She couldn't trust her husband not to be drunk. She couldn't know what kind of person I was going to be when I came home in the evening. Would I be the drunk Rob or the sober Rob? Or would I be the one who'd stay out until 11 o'clock at night? Would I be the one who'd got into trouble somewhere? And that created suspicion and fear. It was terribly damaging for our marriage and i'm incredibly grateful that despite that we've managed to get through things and we're still together in many cases that doesn't happen but uh, if i hadn't gotten sober when i did i'm certain that i wouldn't be with her it was very bad for my family too for my children because they equally couldn't know they couldn't rely on who their dad was going to be was I going to be the one who would turn up for the school event? Would I turn up for the school event drunk? Worse. And so it created a, a, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety for them as well. And it's, it took some years for them to come to believe in me again, to trust me, to know who I was, and to be confident that I was going to be the same sober person from one day to the next. In fact, as it's turned out, my stepson, who's now in his 30s, some years after I came into recovery, he himself asked for my help because he had been involved with drugs and he came into recovery as well. We helped get him into a treatment program. And so in some ways, my, my recovery has been a blessing because it, I was there to help support him. And some further years later, my youngest daughter realized she was having problems with alcohol and she got into AA at the age of 16, which is crazily young, but it was the right thing for her to do. And uh, today she's three and a half years sober. Uh, we're very fortunate in the Surrey area. We've got a, every Monday there's a young person's meeting in Guildford where young people can go and meet others like themselves because we have all these preconceptions. You know, it's, it's middle-aged blokes who are the ones with problems with alcohol. That's not true. Yet many young people have problems. Many women have problems. Many middle-aged, middle-class people, working class, all sorts of people, all sorts of races. 
Alcoholism is a disease, and it's no respecter of gender, age, or anything else. We can all fall victim to it. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's really powerful, because I think... um Normally people think, well, this doesn't affect me. It's only for this type of people or this age group of people. Whereas, as I know it, there's a huge, huge um, um, deficit within the NHS in terms of spend um, with regards to alcohol-related diseases. Like you said, alcohol is a disease. You know, it's not only about, you know, the person drinking excessively, but also the effect that it has on their vital organs and them as a person as well. So thank you so much for that. And also talking about the young people um, AA meeting that they have in Guildford. Um, when you did drink, um, when you were drinking as an alcoholic, roughly how much would you say you drank in a day or in a week? Equivalent. I just wanted to get a rough idea what we're talking about. I always pretended I drank less than I did, but I would say that it was probably at least a bottle of uh, wine plus half a bottle of spirits a day. And some days it could be more, not much more, because um, most alcoholics are quite good at regulating themselves and they know when they've gone too far but there was a maintenance level and of course if you look at the uh, health guidelines that's a ridiculous amount of alcohol to be drinking and it will cause harm in the short and in the long term i'm very fortunate that i seem to have escaped long-term physical damage but many people aren't thank you thank you so much for that that's um that's so true um when you um when you when you were drinking What were the sort of um, challenges that you faced with regards to staying sober and putting on that face, you know, quote unquote, that face, um, not allowing people wanting to find out whether you're drunk or half drunk or, you know, what sort of state you're in? Because obviously, like you said, your family had to go through quite a lot trying to understand you as a person and when you do go to the school your kids school whether you're going to be sober and also the situation with your wife as well seeking help um what were you, did you have any challenges in terms of trying to say, stay sober and if the if if you did what were those and how were you able to overcome those i'm not sure i ever really tried that hard to stay sober until i um came to realize that i was an alcoholic i would try and cut down on the amount that I drank and sometimes say, well, I won't have a drink. I might make a a rule of myself. I won't have a drink until 6 o'clock in the evening. And if I managed to do that, then I'd feel very pleased with myself. And I'd say, see, I haven't got a problem. I managed to do that. And then I'd have six or seven drinks in the next hour or two. And uh, so clearly I did have a problem. But there was the the problem of, if you like, self-control. And one thing I'd say to your listeners is, if you are a normal drinker, you find it quite easy to have a drink and not have another one. Every alcoholic I've ever met, and this includes myself, if we have one drink, then we want another one and then another. And it's that business of not being able to stop at one that I think is the easiest way to decide whether you've got a drink problem or not. If you can have one drink and then make it last all evening, then good luck to you. I'm not that kind of person, and that's why today I don't have any drinks at all, because if I don't have the first drink, it's impossible for me to pick up the second. Thank you. And how did you you get to the point where, you know, you mentioned about your wife 
seeking help initially, but how did you get to the point where you sought help and why? But also, you, you, you literally just explained something like a balanced act where you said, you know, if people are able to stop at wondering, then that's fine, but that's not you. And, 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 and that's really powerful for you to come to that realization that, you know, this is what I'm dealing with and this is how I'm dealing with it. But how did you get to the point where you think I really must get help because I, 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 I can't manage this on my own? Like most alcoholics who get into recovery, I had to hit some kind of rock bottom. And that's usually fairly dramatic. I mean, if something happens to your health or something happens to your relationships. In my case, I was stopped for drink driving. I was four times over the limit. I had two of my children with me at the time. And these are appalling facts. And a part of what's interesting about this disease of alcoholism is that we will behave in these ways that are completely alien to our normal moral values. I mean, the person I am today and the person I am sober would never dream of getting in a car drunk with my children. But the alcoholic does. We do terrible things when we're drunk because we put getting that next drink ahead of everything else in our lives. So I was fortunate. I was stopped and I hadn't had an accident, I hadn't hurt anybody or myself or my children, so I'm immensely grateful for that. Uh, I realised that I was going to be in big trouble, and that was the point at which I, for me, the game was up. At that point, I could no longer pretend to myself or to anybody else that I just occasionally had a few drinks too many. It was clear that there was a massive problem there, and that was the point at which I came into um, to AA, and the first time I sat in a meeting, and as some of you have probably seen it in the, on TV or in the cinema, I said, my name's Rob and I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? That was a hugely... I, I'd been frightened for years of admitting to myself or anybody else I was an alcoholic. The day that I admitted it was actually a weight off my shoulders because then I, was, I wasn't hiding any longer. At last I could be honest about my problem, about what was going on. And at last, I could actually seek some help with it. And from that day on, I haven't had a drink. That's very good. Very, very, very good. And um, I think, like you said, um, something has to happen sometimes naturally um, for us, for you to seek help. And, and that help and also maintaining it going forward and thinking that this has to stop. It's not the right thing to do. Um, what I wanted to um, do as well or ask is actually, you know, come January, there's the month of um, dry January where people, because I think because of the festive period and actually it's a new year, some people give up a month of not having anything alcoholic per se. Um, and then I don't know what happens in February because there's a dry January, which is good. What are your thoughts about that, just having the dry January? But if someone was listening and thinking, okay, I'm going to try and maybe try after the after the, the festive period, after Christmas, come the new year, I want to try and just give up, try and give up for a month. What are, What is your take on that sort of scenario? Well, I think it's an excellent idea for people to do. I think that it's wise for all of us. I mean, I'm, there are people in my family who are, um, who are very normal drinkers, as I would call it, and I'm delighted for them. They can have a glass or two of wine of an evening and they'll enjoy it. And it, as far as I can tell, it doesn't do them any harm. It only does them good. And they don't have that craving for more. I think for People who drink moderately, it's probably a nice idea to have a month without. Uh, I'm not a health expert, so I can't say whether there are any health benefits. But I think what it may also drive out is if you're somebody who has got a problem with alcohol, then try 
Try giving up for a month and see how it feels. If you find yourself finding it easy, that's probably a good sign. If you find it, as I used to, terribly difficult, and every day you're thinking about how long is it till I can have a drink again, that's not such a good sign. Okay, very good. So if someone was listening and could, and if someone was listening to us and wanted to find out a bit more, think that what you've clearly um, discussed um, earlier on, that this really sounds like me, or I know a family member, I know someone who might... I, I think I need to speak to about their sort of alcohol consumption and how it's not right for them health-wise and all of that good stuff, whether it's family as well, psychologically um, as well. What would you advise them and what would your view, viewpoint be, be if someone was listening and wanting to get help? What would your viewpoint be? Or well, what would you say to them? We're very lucky in Surrey. We've got, as we have all over the UK, a brilliant telephone helpline service where people can phone up, and it's no 800 number. I'm sure we'll be putting it up on the other site. You can phone that number, and you will then get through to people who are recovered alcoholics themselves who will be able to advise. We do this voluntarily because we all know what it was like to be an alcoholic. We're all terribly grateful for the fact that we're in recovery. And a part of being an alcoholic in recovery is helping others. We're delighted when anybody else takes those first steps. And so if you phone that number, uh, you will be able to talk to somebody who's had the experience of having a problem with drink and has had the experience of finding a way through that and finding recovery. So I'd really uh, invite people to call the number talk about what their life is like, listen to what's advised. There are a lot of meetings in the Surrey area. There are over 70 just in the sort of within 10-mile radius of Guildford. There's 10 meetings every day of the week, some in the evening, some at lunchtime. And if you, you are welcome at any one of those if you think you've got a drink problem. Just You can look them up on the web, and we'll have a link up there as well, I think, for that. And it'll allow you to find out very quickly where are the local meetings. Go along. Just listen. Unlike in the movies, you don't have to say what your name is. You can just sit and listen and hear other people's stories. And if you do have a problem, you'll probably hear things that you can identify with. And you may also see people you'd be surprised about. I mean, we talked before. Yeah, I had this image of sort of, you know, almost tramps being the people who went to AA. It isn't like that at all. There's a whole mix of different people there. And most of the people are, yes, they are happy because they found a way of dealing with something that was ruining their lives. And each time they go along to a meeting, they're among other people who are like-minded and we've all been given a reprieve from our alcoholism. And so, strange as it may seem, an AA meeting is often a place filled with laughter and hope because it's all about us helping one another to stay sober. Especially at this time at Christmas, we make sure there are extra meetings, there are Christmas Day meetings that people can go along to, because it is obviously a challenging time. And we expect to see an upturn of some new people coming into our meetings in January too, just as you mentioned. Very good. 
Very good. Um, wh- how can you reassure someone? Because obviously we spoke about anonymity with yourselves, um, especially just using your first name instead of your um, you know, full name. Um, if someone, because it's a huge step, we have to acknowledge that it's a huge step, whether whichever transition, whichever area of the journey in terms of um, the alcohol journey um, someone is, um, it's a huge step to come forward. How can you reassure, uh, being someone who's gone through the journey yourself, how can you reassure someone who might say, oh, God, I don't know. I don't want them to know my name. I don't want them to know. Maybe I'll bump into my neighbor or someone who knows me. What sort of reassurance, having attended one of those, how? What sort of reassurance would you give someone who is thinking of or knows someone who might want to attend one of your meetings? We're very careful to protect anonymity. We understand that it's one of the most important things because if people come to a meeting and then are outed for some reason or their name leaks out in social media it could be very damaging and so at every single meeting in the uk uh, a um a, a special card so some words are read out about anonymity saying who you see here what you hear here let it stay here and i've In my 17 and a half years of personal experience, I've never known of a case where somebody's anonymity has been breached. The meetings that I go to have people including airline pilots, doctors, consultants, bankers, people who would possibly have their careers damaged if it became known outside that they were seeking help. And the irony is, of course, that they're doing the smartest thing they possibly could do by getting help. Also, you know, um, sort of uh, international rock stars, actors, all sorts of people come along. And you very seldom see anything about those people in the papers unless they choose to share themselves because they're trying to get some charity going. We're good at protecting anonymity. We've been doing it for a long time now. Okay. Thank you so much. That's very useful, Um, Rob. Thank you once again for coming in to talk to me about such a sensitive but also very potent topic about alcoholism especially this time of the year coming close to the end of the year as well and as you rightfully say there are quite a lot of different spectrum of people dealing with this issue and raising awareness in the sorry area about alcoholism and where help can be sought and sharing your journey with us thank you very much for coming in to speak to me thank you it's been a pleasure thank you thank you as Rob mentioned during the program, if you wanted to um, call to find out a bit more about Alcoholic Anonymous in Sorry, the website address is www.aamidsorry.org.uk. I repeat again, it's www.aamidsorry.org.uk. And the free phone number, which Rob mentioned about, is 0800 nine one double seven six five zero zero eight hundred nine one double seven six five zero thank you so much for listening to brooklyn's radio health talk show thank you for tuning in please um please follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at brooklyn's radio feel free to share feel free to email us if you have any queries any questions or if you've got any topic that you think we might cover health and social care related our email address is health talk at brooklandsradio.co.uk healthtalk at brooklandsradio.co.uk Until next time, thank you for listening. My name is Fatima Kamari, your Health Talk show host. Thank you. You're listening to Health Talk with Fatima Kamara on Brooklyn's Radio. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not keep up to date with The Sound of Surrey by listening live at brooklandsradio.co.uk or through our free mobile app.